You are listening to the Women in Leadership Podcast with Debbie Collard, Susan Ireland, professional executive coaches and co-founders of the Seasons Leadership Program, and Marianne Metz, Digital Marketing Manager at Ascension. This podcast focuses on helping women around the globe explore their passion for leadership. Join Debbie, Susan, and Marianne on Women Wednesdays as they talk to world-class leaders this season to dive deeper into their journeys of leadership development and find out what it takes to acquire your own professional leadership style. If you are interested in additional resources outside of the podcast, please visit seasonsleadership.com where you can enroll in executive coaching or transformation workshops. This podcast series is sponsored by Ascension Transformation Solutions. This is your new personal leadership mentor. This is the Women in Leadership Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Women in Leadership Podcast. We are back with season two. We are so excited to jump into the next season as we have some amazing guest stars lined up for you to hear from. Last season was a great opportunity for you to get to know my co-hosts, Debbie Collard and Susan Ireland, who are co-founders of the Seasons Leadership Program. Their program, as well as our podcast, is designed for women to further their self-awareness and live into their potential while making a difference in their career, organization, communities, and the lives of others. In season one, we talked about why executive coaching matters and what that looks like, as well as tips and tricks on developing your personal brand and learning how to be resilient, adaptable, and motivational in today's conditions. So if you're new, please check out our earlier episodes where you can find more information on where to start with your leadership development process. I hope you're enjoying your Women Wednesday today, but before we get started, please help us out by rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love to read your comments and feedback. And, you let, and if you like today's conversation, please take a screenshot of the episode and tag one of us on your social media, and we'll be happy to reach out and connect with you. You can tag myself on Instagram at Marianne G. Metz, or you can reach out to the Seasons Leadership Program at seasons underscore leadership. Today, we have a special guest who is a proud advocate for women in leadership. Rita Robbins was the first female leader engineer at Bell Labs. She has worked at Microsoft Corporation for over 23 years as an organizational and professional development trainer and in different leadership roles. She currently serves the community as a neuroscience consultant specializing in organizational and professional development services. Apart from her professional career, she has been a global heritage preservation ambassador and dance teacher for over 45 years. Rita, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Marianne, and I'm honored to be here. I appreciate it. I just wanted to say how happy we are to have you here, Rita. I'm pleased and honored, very honored. Rita, can you start us off by telling your journey into your career and when throughout your career development did you realize you were a leader? Well, the interesting part about that, Marianne, is I don't consider myself a leader. I have had people call me that, but it's all about working with people, getting us to work better together. And sometimes it takes somebody that'll take the initiative to try to bring the folks together to focus on what we need to get done. So traditionally, I don't see myself as a leader. And when speaking and preparing with you all, when you said there's a lot of firsts, yes, I've had a lot of firsts in my careers doing a, a variety of things. It's been kind of a wild uh, dichotomy and not just one single thing. But I just always see how we can be successful together. <clears throat> and sometimes it takes one person to bring the group together, but you do it as a part of the team working synergistically together, not as somebody dictating information about this will be done my way or the highway. So, And with all the things you've learned during your career, what is one thing that you wish you had learned sooner or known sooner that you could benefit from that wisdom? Sad but true, and always hindsight's twenty twenty, is the real hard realization that you are the one that makes yourself successful or you are 
where you want to be is totally up to you. And what I mean by that is often we will talk to people we consider a mentor or somebody that we follow, and they'll give you suggestions. And unfortunately, sometimes they will say, just stay with me and we'll see your dreams come true. When it actually gets down to the bottom line, if you're relying on someone else, you are honestly not going to be as successful as you really possibly could. Now, it's a really fine line being aggressive about your goals. You don't want to do, you do want to do that, but you want to do it with grace. And you don't want to plow headstrong in, and you don't want to plow with your ego first. If anything, it's with your heart. And you've got to know where you tick and what drives you, what motivates you, what what is your wind beneath your wings. And you've really got to constantly keep looking. And yes, you can work with people that can give you additional insight. But I wished I had realized that probably earlier on in my career. And then when I give myself grace for not doing that is my particular time in my career in the evolution in business and women in business. It was at the time when I started out, you got a job and you kept a job until you retired. And if you worked hard, you were successful and things just happened. You climbed the ladder and it worked. In the meantime, in my career and my lifespan working, corporation and corporate culture shifted. It's very rare right now that somebody starts out someplace and finishes someplace with their career. It just doesn't happen. And I would say my career, when I'm trying to give myself grace for why I didn't do it, I was in that transition period. So it was an evolution. It wasn't apparent until it was, I'm just going to say too late. But to your point, my, my point is, You have to manifest your career. You can get help and you can get support. But if you almost naively, I was looking for the right word, (laughs) naively think somebody's going to pull you up, that's really not going to happen. Rita, like you said, you've had lots of firsts in your career. Can you talk a little bit about one of those that was particularly relevant to you and why? I had a lot of firsts, but I had a lot of firsts. What you're referring to is being the first woman in a men's world. And there was a lot of them. I was the first veterinary student for large animals that were females. And FYI, for the folks listening, I flunked out because I couldn't stay conscious during uh, surgery. Blood and I just don't get along. Okay. (laughs) I I had a, a first when I went into... After I left that, I went into retail fashion. And because I could sew, I was put into the men's department. And then I became the first men's buyer, the first female men's buyer in an 8,000 men's buying association. That was hilarious. I was 23 years old. Hello. <laughs> and and I'll just be blunt. I was buying because they they made it hard on me. They wanted me to get out of their way. I was buying men's underwear and socks. (laughs) The jockey salesman refused to sell to me. He refused to fill me the line. He, it was an older man. He would walk out and put the line and he said, just fill out your order and then call me whenever you're through because he was too embarrassed for a young lady picking out these items. Wow. It was that uncomfortable. So it was, it, here we go in a men's world again uh, with a divestiture, with the breakup of the bell system, because I left retail and went into sales. And then I, with the divestiture, they gave us a aptitude test. And I got put into getting a, um, two degrees in electrical engineer and computer science, which was hilarious because my undergraduate degree was in marketing. We still made it. But the bottom line is I was now one of 13 women and almost 1,300 men going through this program. And again, the girl was many times put to do what they consider girl things. 
And thank heavens I was raised on a ranch and my dad's son. And you're not going to put the girl in a corner and call her a girl. I can do anything you can do. So just get out of my way. And it was always contentious, but it was fun. But again, it was the first in a men's world. And then later, if I could achieve anything in that is to show and think about the time of it to show men that we're no different. We walk the same shoes, we walk the same talk, and we can do the same hard work if you just take off that set of glasses looking at us as females. We're just cohorts. And many, many times I would walk up to them and I'm going, I don't know what you're talking about, but here's what I'm talking about and we're going to go forward. And it was, as Debbie and I were talking a little bit earlier, it's just kind of the way in almost a militaristic, a military, men relate to military. And if you relate to them in that kind of mindset, which I did a lot of study on that, it's just clarity. We don't mess around. Now, it's a little bit different in the corporate environment. It, it's not so, it's a whole different culture. But yeah, so if if those points in the first, the common thread is being really the kind of the first female, but kind of not seeing, I hate to say not seeing myself as female, just seeing myself as another person and you're another person. And, if, and basically, if there's a problem, we're going to address it, but it's kind of the way you're looking at me versus not the way I'm looking at you or the problem or the issue. Rita, I have, I have a question that just occurred to me as you were talking. Um, it's an amazing uh, position you were in being the first female in so many different areas. Mm-hmm. And offline, I kind of want to hear some of those underwear stories. I bet there's some good ones. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm wondering, how did the other women treat you in your life? Well, there weren't very many, I can say, because uh, it was just my mom. I didn't have sisters or anything like that. And honestly, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends because there just wasn't an opportunity for a lot of external socialization. And the women I did work with in the retail industry, there were women, but there were salespeople on the floor. And then the management and leadership were all men. They just thought it was interesting, but they couldn't relate to it. And when I became their bosses, they also, that was a little different because they were many times 20 years older than me. And we had to figure out how to make that work because now I was the young pup that was now their manager. And I think to your point, I'm just thinking out when we're, we're talking about this, Susan, they did a lot of training of me. You know, don't tell me what to do. Here's what I need out of this job. And how do we make this work? And so that's a, a really interesting point. They gave me the viewpoint of if we were going to make this work, I had to see what made them tick and then how to make it successful within the confines of what I was trying to achieve. That's a, I hadn't thought of it in that way. That's interesting. You know, Rita, as you say that too, and, and thinking about how you answered the earlier question about not thinking of yourself as a leader, those other women, it sounds like, were influential in teaching you how to lead. I, you're absolutely right. It just gave me a cold chill when you said that, because absolutely, one lady, she's hilarious. She was 80 and I was 24. And she turned around, she goes, you don't understand, I've got great grandkids older than you. And you're not going to tell me how to do this. And I'm looking at her because I really loved her and I really respected her. And I was going, so what do we need to do here? And she would guide me just through her saltiness. It was absolutely hilarious. And I did learn. You're absolutely right, Debbie. Thank you for bringing that out. And Susan, too, with your question, I had never thought about that. Now, anyone can be a leader at any point in their career, but when it comes to understanding how to achieve this mindset, what would you say is one characteristic every leader should possess or strive towards and that you try to exhibit yourself? It really comes down, I believe, active listening. 
there's a little bit of, there's more than one thing that goes on when you're active listening. One, I'm showing respect to the person speaking. And especially if you're in a leadership position, you need to do that. It's, it's not all about you. It's about how you work together with your people and how they together with you make things possible. So active listening, what it also does too, is it allows you as you're listening to step back and really look at a more holistic data feel of what's going on versus if you're having an active conversation, you're really in the moment, really close. But if you're quiet and listening, it allows you to step back and see possibly the situation more holistically. Maybe even it's not what they're saying, it's what they're not saying could be really key. So active listening, I would say, is a really important leadership attribute. I'm sure our listeners are wondering, have you ever had any mentors or coaches throughout your career? And if so, how did they help you? I really thought long and hard about this because, again, it kind of goes back to what would I have done differently if I'd known it earlier. I didn't really have any active mentors or coaches. I had leaders that I could go to and run things by. I had folks that I really trusted and trusted advisors, if you will, that I could go to and ask questions of when I would become stumped or overwhelmed. And it's usually because I was too close to something, hadn't stepped back. And I could get insights or guidance, or they could give me some of their perspectives. But I guess I didn't really have any mentors. And there, I didn't have any what we at my former company used to call sponsors because sponsors were the ones that would lift, reach down and lift you up. I didn't have any of those either. So that's when I kind of became much more clear about what we really need to do is manifest our own destiny because you can't depend on other people. You've got to make it happen yourself. So trusted advisors, people I could go to to ask questions, but not really what I would call mentors. Let's let's pretend that you did have one, or if you had had one, a mentor or sponsor, as you described it, or a coach, or all of the above. What do you think might have been different for you in having that opportunity throughout your career? I think that they would be able to have seen some of my parts where I felt stalled out, parts of my career where I felt stalled, or where I call it a bird in a cage syndrome, that there's things that I know I could do, but this job is so restrictive, it's almost suffocating. I think they could have helped me see clearer what was happening and what potential possibilities could have been done where... I'm kind of a good heart. I always say I'm the worst judge of character ever because I always think the best of everybody and the best intent. And they didn't always really have my best interest at hand. And I think a coach at that time or somebody that I could really rely on and just go lay it out on the table, especially we've all had times where it just like, help me. I can't see the forest for the trees here. I think somebody like that could have really kind of parted the ways and said, they wouldn't really necessarily say, you need to go do this, but they would say, let's step back and let's look at it. And that would have been amazing. Maybe hold a mirror up to you and help you see what you couldn't see. Oh, I love that metaphor. Yes. I could see that I had fog on the mirror, that I was alive, but... Or that I wasn't, as they teasingly say, well, you know, you're not a a vampire. You can see your reflection. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's obvious, but I can't see what I can't see. (laughs) Uh, Rita, you're speaking so clearly about um, part of the reason why Debbie and I started Seasons Leadership Program. And that was to take control of our own destinies and invest in ourselves as leaders And having a coach is somebody who's independent and doesn't have the agenda of anybody else. So just like what you said, when not everybody has your best interest at heart, right? But you know, 
a coach, especially if, if you hire that coach independently, is totally focused on you and your agenda. And that, to me, is such a powerful step that you can take in your own development and your own trajectory of what, what you're looking for. And that kind of led me to think about something about what did the other women think in my career at the time? And while you just spurred my thought there, Susan, in that I didn't think, I I don't know really how to say this properly. I didn't really think that I had something to give enough value that I would want to invest in myself to go be even better. And I would really like to put that out very clear and very, you know, transparent is that that was my little demon talk at the time because there was nobody else that I even knew that was a woman in this situation and I was devaluing myself. And so I kind of will say, I will say, I probably didn't consciously take a step to seek somebody. And I think your encouragement and with your leadership program, I think if the listeners could really resonate, yes, you do have value. There's nobody that can tell you you don't have value. The only time when you feel like you don't have value is when you do that to yourself. And you do need to step out and be your own leader. Yeah. And, and be able to take your efforts forward and look for a coach because you do need somebody to help you see clearly. And I love that, that thought. What would you tell 30-year-old Rita if you could? To don't let that little self-doubt and, okay, I don't know what I could be. So why don't you just go find out? Instead of trying to sit there and kind of go, well, it could be this, it could be that, it could be this. Invest a little bit in yourself. Take pride. And I always, even the students I'm talking about now, you've got to love yourself first. And I don't mean that egotistically, but know, okay, Rita doesn't know what Rita can be. So why don't you go get a coach and try to see what the possibilities are versus just trying to hack it out yourself. And then 30 years later, kind of going, well, that didn't work so well. It's a little late. <laughs> Just think of what could have happened and the trajectory that it could have had. You know, and then I also have to give myself grace going, okay, fine. It's good. We're doing it now for others. And if anybody can take anything from this and go do that, make that step. I always say success a lot of times is like the door you walk up and knock on, but you're afraid to go through. Go through the door and go see, and there's absolutely no harm in it. What if it doesn't change? What if it does? You know, don't limit yourself. And speaking of showing yourself grace, Oprah Winfrey once said, leadership is about empathy. It's about having the ability to relate and connect with others for the purpose of inspiring and empowering their lives. Rita, what role do you believe compassion plays in leadership? And what does that look like in your leadership style? I so fully subscribe to that. I had not heard that quote, but I I suspected maybe that was in there with Oprah's leadership style. I absolutely adhere to that philosophy because leaders tend to be really close to their goals and their missions a lot of times, especially if they're leading large corporations and things. They completely lose sight of the people that are making it possible. Now, they don't think so. And if you ask them, they can get really angry about it. But when you ask them the last time when they walked a mile in somebody else's shoes or in somebody else's role, they can't even tell you, or they do it almost with a good heart, but almost superficially. So empathy, empathy, the true like definition of empathy is the ability to project the other person's situation and really feel it so that you understand that is actually a skill from neuroscience that's learned. (laughs) 
And I think empathy and leadership is a primary um, asset. It's a quality that really good leaders have. Now, it can backfire on you. You can care too much. And having that right balance so that you're not taking on all the problems of the world, but you do take it on efficiently enough that you really do feel and you really understand. So you can understand that this policy, this vision, and this implementation is going to have this impact on the people that are actually doing it. That's really key. And what do we want to do positively to help them help you be successful and what might accidentally be an unintended consequences. And I think empathy is a key value there. I appreciate all of your honesty and I love getting to know you even more. Now we're going to enter our lightning round of questions, which we like to call, if you don't know her, then you should, which will be hosted by <laughs> Debbie and Susan. They prepared a set of insightful questions for you to answer and help our listeners gain a deeper understanding into leadership. Ladies, let's get started. All right. To start off the lightning round, Rita, what was a defining moment in your life? I think the most defining moment is at the point I had mentioned with a veterinary and I totally washed out of that. And I had been an animal advocate and animal lover and helping an animal in distress my whole life, being born and raised on a ranch. When I couldn't do that, what now? My secondary passion, I'm just going to say, to get out of the cow dung was to be a prima ballerina dancer in a dance studio, which is the antithesis of all the crud under your fingernails. It's a whitewashed, very pristine environment. I tore both Achilles tendons off both heels in a performance uh, with NBC Entertainment, Disney on Parade, and instantly my career was over because barely walking, much less dancing. So those two defining moments happened within a couple of years of each other. And what I'm trying to point out is both of them were things I had started early on in my life from early childhood, two, three, five years old. And that was my whole life, those two things, one or the other. And now they're both gone. And the reason why it's such a pivotal moment is because I'm a blank slate. What now? I have no clue. And I work a lot right now with young people looking at careers. And it's something I had to do. And especially young folks in college and they're graduating and they're going, I've got a degree, but I really don't know what I want to do. And I said, if you really think this whole entire career thing is something you planned from A to Z, you're probably in the one percentile. So they kind of happen to you, let me just say, and have the grace to understand and let it happen. But I'd like for you to think of things in three ways. This is not quick and short. Sorry, Marianne. <laughs> is what, what can you do that just makes you happy that's no work at all? What can you do that you do really well that is work and you're tired at the end of the day? But I'm honestly going to say that's 95% of the people. What is it that is just fingernails on the chalkboard or bamboo shoots under the fingernail? You can do it, but it's totally destructive. And when you look at what your passions are, that'll help you understand where you really need to seek and look. And that's really what I had to do at that defining moment is what else could I do? Where else could I go? What's fun? What could my life be? And because those were complete shutdowns of lifelong dreams. Yes, granted that I was young. But same thing I tell everybody, where can you go to find your wind beneath your wings? And how can you turn that into something that provides money? And how wonderful was it that your defining moment or moments in this case, um, you're able to use those now to help other people? I'm hoping. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for the second one? You bet. What do you look for in people you hire? I love this question because people look at me like, are you out of your mind? And I'm going, no, think about it. What I look for first is personality and then key critical decision thinking capabilities. And when you back up and people go, but what about this skill? What about this skill? What about that? Nope. I can't. 
and I'm trying to say this very carefully so you don't misunderstand or mishear, I can't teach somebody to not be a jerk. I can't teach somebody personality skills. You either get along with people or you don't. And sometimes the really brilliant people sometimes do not have personality skills. I can pretty well teach anybody a skill if they're willing to learn. I also can't teach them to think. And along with the personality comes with motivation. And I've done a lot of hiring for a lot of our companies that I've worked with in the past. And I said, I, the only suggestion I would offer a manager is have the courage to not take the first person that's the brainiac that looks like the brilliant walking whatever. Have the courage to pass and have the courage to get the person that can come with a good personality, with a good spirit, and is hungry to learn and will do for you. And I said, it will pay off more than you even think. Okay, next question. What one leader has been a very positive influence for you and why? That's a really good question. When I really think about it, because there's a lot of leaders, and it's mostly the leaders that help you, you ask a question and they reflect it back to you. You know, it's those kind of people. But the one that I've worked with the most that has really just kind of opened my mind, opened my heart, and helped me be successful and helped me make a lot of these aha moments has been Michael Gervais. And Dr. Michael Gervais is about, he's an extreme high-performance coach. I've gotten to work with him with my former employee, Microsoft, and mindfulness and understanding mindfulness and health and achieving your goals. And Gervais walked up to me a couple of years ago, and he said, why do you continue to let this environment define you? And he spoke to my soul. I mean, he looked straight in my eyes and I was just like, I almost couldn't take it. And he was right. It made me self-reflective. Do not let, his main words is, do not let some environment, a job, a role, a person define you. Do not let them put you in a corner. Do not let them tell you you can't do something. Because you're only limited by your capabilities and your beliefs. So I'd have to say Dr. Michael Gervais. That gave me chills. Oh, all right. (laughs) That's Uh, wonderful. We hear from women in Seasons Leadership that it's lonely being a leader. Did you ever feel alone? Oh, my. Yes. And you've heard about the syndrome of Mm -hmm. uh, alone in a crowded room. Most definitely. And I've, in the neuroscience of learning, I have found that people are creative, actually, and people that, a lot of the leaders are creative because they see a problem that is a problem. They see it as an opportunity. And it's a problem that they like to solve. You know, it's their brains just have got to be doing it. I'm not saying I'm brilliant. I'm just saying that your brain is slightly different. And so often you'll find yourself alone in a crowded room or when you're trying to express something that could be very easily changed for the benefit of everything. And you're trying to lift it up to other leadership because nobody has the courage to say it. You find yourself as too odd for other people, if you will. I don't know how to characterize that in the right terms, but yes. Um, you're in a very large room with a very large group of people that are all socializing. And it's not that you can tell I am a very social person and I'll find myself often kind of looking around going, hello, (laughs) you know, or waiting to sit down at a table and, you know, the table gets up and moves away. And it used to really bother me and I'm, I'm going, okay. Do you have any advice? For people who feel like that? Well, one of the things is a metaphor that when something's happening and people are not behaving or reacting to you like you expect, and you have no reason to believe that there's been anything wrong, look at what it's saying about the people, not what it's saying about you. 
And we were talking in our, our pre-discussions about my little childish metaphor. And this is more like when somebody was screaming at me and it was a defensive mechanism and they're going like this. It's, it's not what they're saying to you. It's what they're saying about themselves. So I would say in this case too, it's what are they saying about themselves? What's going on? Are you making them uncomfortable? And why are they uncomfortable? What's going on with them? Are they insecure about what's going on? You know, and maybe you're stirring up some things in them. It's not that they're mad or angry at you. And it's not that they don't necessarily like you. We all have to be liked. That's a human nature thing. Um, but what's it saying that you're stirring up in them? And is there anything you can do about that? Or you just kind of let it go and smile. And I usually just start working the crowd and walking around and saying, hello, it's the 32nd and keep going. And it makes me feel better that I'm not being included. But it also is a little poke of, hello, I'm here. I'm a human too. <laughs> and I'm kind of ornery like that. <laughs> I love that orneriness. It's perfect. So Rita, in Seasons Leadership Program, we get lots of people coming in at all different phases of their careers and their lives. And some of them, like you, would say, well, I don't really consider myself a leader. And others, um, they know they're a manager, but they want to be more of a leader. So you've had lots of experience both with um, good leaders, leaders you could admire, and leaders that maybe we can learn something on the negative side from. Given all that, what advice would you give someone who's going into a leadership position for the first time? Have faith in yourself. If you make a mistake, do not. I'm an energy conservationist. And if you, it takes energy to beat yourself up. That's a huge waste. Um, it's you never set out to do something bad. But let's say it just didn't go as well as expected. That's hilarious. Well, and I used to walk out and go, well, that didn't work. Awesome. Um <laughs> You know, look at it as a learning experience and what can you learn from it and do not waste one cycle of energy beating yourself up. Just kind of recognize it's not the glass is half full, half empty. The glass has water. Leave it at that. And then how do you make it better next time? And what's the learning from that? And, and I would say be an energy conservationist. Learn we're all going to make mistakes. We are not human. I mean, we're not perfect and we're not droids. Um, awesome. I We've had some massive mistakes with some of my people. And I mean, huge impact. And they knew they were going to be fired. And I said, that was an expensive learning situation, but I guarantee you we're not going to do it again. Tell me what you learned from it and how do we make sure that it doesn't happen again? So I think that would be probably the thing I would say is, Give yourself grace and forgiveness and kind of laugh when things don't go right. But what did you learn from it? But just do not waste the energy and self-deprecation or, you know, you know, thrashing your back. That's, and I've been known to take cat of nine tails, virtual cat of nine tails away from people and go, if you had all that energy wasting here and you put it towards the common goal of good, just think where we'd be right now. So look, come on, let's get out of this trap and do something different. I love that piece of advice. It can fit on a bumper sticker, be an energy conservationist. <laughs> and then people go, what does that mean? And I'm going, oh, you don't want to get started. <laughs> what is one mistake you witness leaders making more frequently than others? Oh, I love this. <laughs> I love this because I get hopping. What, excuse me. I get jumping up and down mad. <laughs> And that is, and think about it, it's human nature, and they seriously don't know it. As a leader, they think they've effectively communicated whatever it is. There's going to be a change. There's going to be something different. There's going to be something that I need you to go do. And it comes off to the field with cold ears. Like, I'm not, I'm not even there yet. Where did this change come from? 
This is the field thinking. What's happening? How did we get here? What's going on? Where the leader side of it is, I've thought through this. We've been through the scenarios. We've been working on this for 12 months. And here's what I need you to go do. So what they say is, here's what I need you to go do. What the audience is hearing, I don't have a clue where this came from. And in human nature, it's not there being resistance. We need context. We need we need data points of, I don't necessarily need to know the details why, but here's what you see. And here's the thought process of where we're getting there. We're humans. We're not technological switches. And time and time again, I see leadership and I laugh. My husband, I'm doing this all the time with our political statements on TV all the time. You're just telling me the data point and as if I'm supposed to pivot on this. And I'm a human. We don't do that. So it's it's what I see the mistakes all the time is the communication skills and not realizing they're dealing with humans and not realizing that they've been thinking about and processing on this for an extended amount of time, but yet your audience is hearing it for the first and then, then wondering why it didn't work or why somebody misconstrued it. Cause I love it. Your understanding of what's being said versus my understanding can be wildly different and not clarifying because I'm not appreciating that it's the first time you're hearing it. So it's the communication clarity. Right. That makes sense. You know, I've also heard and experienced myself that one time is not enough to to communicate. You know, I've heard the rule of thumb seven times in different ways. And and I don't know if there's any rule, but I just know it's more than once. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And from a neuroscience, it's at least three. And more like it's odd numbers, to be honest, five to seven. Uh, I did have uh, a leader go to nine and she said, is it this difficult to get this out? And I said, are you repeating it each time? And she said, yes, I'm being very clear and using the exact same words. I said, aha, therein lies the trouble. You've got to get the intent with different words because words mean different things to different people. And she said, does that alter the message? And I said, I hope not, not if you've done a good job. But you can say something to me, and based on my context, I may not have a clue what you just said. But and, I, and when somebody's saying something to me and I'm not understanding, I always say, and can you use different words, please? And they're looking at me like, and I said, no, I'm just trying to make sure I really am trying to understand what you're telling me. And yes, it's it's amazing. All about communication. So, Rita, you've... Obviously, you're a learner. You like um, getting into new stuff. Are there a few resources that you use and would recommend to someone looking to gain insight to becoming a better leader? And if so, what are they? I really thought long and hard about this because my slant with leadership is understanding how my constituents or the people are going to react And behavioral scientists, social psychologists are always cause and effect. I do this, they're going to do that. But add on to the top of that would be, how about understanding how your recipient's brain is actually handling this? Because if I really want to know true cause and effect, if I'm going to talk to you and I'm not seeing it really resonate, then I got to really know why it's not resonating. So that's my little quirky twist so I would recommend Neural Leadership Institute. It's NLI. It's neuroleadership.com, I believe it is. And you can sign up there. And the interesting part is there's a lot of leadership principles, but they, they have practitioners that really talk common English. But if you've got to know more because either you don't believe it or it's just not resonating with you, you can go into deep scientific proof and you can do an executive overview or the 125 page mind-blowing numbing scientific research if so desire it depends on what the topic is i found that extremely insightful just as a really different take on leadership and it's principles but yet based in science and based in 
psychology also. The other thing, if that's not your thing, that I found, and it's a, and this is back to our one of our points with military, interesting, a field manual written by a Navy SEAL, and it's called Strategy and Tactics. And it's by Jacko Willing, J-O-C-K-O-W-I-L-L-I-N-K. Now, you may think that that's kind of weird, but the thing that he talks about leadership, instead of speaking in metaphors, he's extremely clear, very precise, very procedural. So if you're really on early in your career and you're just trying to go from management to leadership, this is an amazing field guide because there's no gray in it. It's just really black and white, and it's tried and true and proven by the Navy SEALs. Now, the only reason, okay, we're not in military, but think about it. His leadership is all about achieving a goal and preserving his team. And when I say preserving his team, I mean preserving his team's lives. And it is, and that just gave me a cold chill, sorry. Um, He's right there with you. (laughs) He's very precise and very prescriptive. And I've used it in several of my younger people that have come to me and they said, oh my gosh, the clarity is incredible. And so I would recommend that as a book. There's a lot of things out there. And the one reason why I'm not doing a lot of other recommendations is if it's neuroscience and by the time it's printed, it's out of date. (laughs) And then a lot of the leadership books are very scenario-based, and you've got to draw the intuition from the scenario, which is hard. I don't know it. I didn't get the point. So I'm not getting it clear. That's one thing I really like about this. He's clear. And thank you for those recommendations. I really um, think another important point about the strategy and tactics book is Many people I've come across don't understand the difference between those two things. And you need both. Yes. You need the strategy overall, but you need the tactics or the steps to get you there to achieve that strategy. And um, so it sounds like that's a part of the book as well, which would be very helpful for people. Hadn't thought about that. It's the name. (laughs) But you're right. People do struggle. And you say, what's your strategy here? And what's the tactics? And people just look at you. Sorry, I have, because uh, Rita is so based in science, I had a pop-up bonus question. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) What cartoon character is you? Oh, that's easy. (laughs) This is silly. It's Tigger. Tigger. Oh, my goodness. No, Rita, you can't have that one. He's mine. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I've got a very selfish reason. When, when uh, I worked for Disney, I'm not supposed to say, but I was Tigger. Oh, I knew I loved you when we first met. That's why. <laughs> and one of the things I used to tell my classes when they would say, what's a little known fact that you can share in my little UK friend that's so sarcastic that I just love to death, um, he would say, tell him, tell him. I'm going, no, it's got strings attached to it. And he goes, why is that? Because they would say, you know, if we're really good, will you do the Tigger dance? You know, the wonderful thing about Tigger is Tigger is a wonderful thing, you know? And I was like, Nigel, I'm not going to do it. And he goes, yes, because, oh, look at you. Yes. (laughs) Me too. Yes. And so to this day, when I would walk the halls of Microsoft in really large, large gatherings, you know, when we'd have 8, 10, 12,000 people, the one of the things was people would go like that. (laughs) And that was a silent signal of I'm Tigger, you know, because I had had to have done the Tigger dance for them in order for them to do something for me. And of course, my partner in crime had set this up. And to this day, I was like, you will die one day for making me do that. (laughs) But yes, it's Tigger because I bouncy, 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 bouncy
Yeah, fun, 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 fun. Yes. And because a lot of times when I'm teaching or I'm on stage, I tend to bounce. The sitting in chairs, you can tell, I usually blank out my screen because they said, are you Italian? And I said, no, I'm Tigger. (laughs) (laughs) That's, it's not quite a cartoon, but he is a cartoon. (laughs) No, he's perfect. (laughs) Great question, Susan. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's awesome, Debbie. I knew I loved you guys too. That's so amazing. (laughs) Well, this has been a great way to kick off the new season. Thank you so much, Rita, for taking the time to share your stories and inspirational ideas with us today. But before we end the show, we have one extra fun question to ask you that we all ask our guest stars. If you could have a superhero power, what would it be? Oh, I... I reference this all the time, and this is this is crazy. It's teleportation, you know, like in Star Trek, because I need to get from here to there, and I don't want to take the time to do it. Now, the and I understand that the disassemble is possible today, but the reassembling the parts is impossible, and you don't even want to know how dastardly that is but yes i'd like to be able to beam me up scotty and teleport and so i could go do the things i could do with less time getting there and do more and be more present in more places but yeah teleportation i am all about that and i'm thinking you know that's not one of the marvel comics guys that's pretty cool i could be a a marvel comic person even (laughs) (laughs) i love that well, don't you think don't you think Zoom is a little bit of that, Rita? Well, and I actually do because one of the things I talked to my students about is said flip a bit in your brain and pretend we're here and we're all sitting together and don't be do not take yourself back to the point where you know, no, they're remote and whatever. I said pretend, make an active comment, conscious effort to say we're all together. And that's why I say when I'm working with you all, I feel like we're all together. And you're absolutely right, Susan. Yes, definitely. We're all together. Thank you so much for being here today, Rita. And our listeners, please tune in on Women Wednesdays for upcoming episodes where we'll be interviewing more world-class leaders just like Rita. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on the Women in Leadership podcast. If you loved today's episode, we encourage you to rate and review our show on your Apple Podcast app. If you're interested in learning more about professional development, visit seasonsleadership.com to learn about their annual leadership program. This program is designed for women to support their growth and success as a professional. It was created to help motivate female leaders and further their self-awareness to live into their potential while still making a difference. Don't forget to follow us on social media to stay up to date on the latest episodes. This is the Women in Leadership podcast, where new episodes come out on Women Wednesday.